Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Last week, Gary mentioned to us that, as we all know, at Christmas time, it seems to be that we all have family and personal traditions and habits that we do year after year, whether it's the music, maybe some of the films we watch, the stories, the, the Christmas, the event yesterday, the Women's Tea, which is an annual event, our Christmas Eve service, and the themes we have for Advent that we share each year to remind us. I know that in one of the things that uh, in my life that has been part of my uh, tradition, I'm sure in one way or another, is that somehow, whether it's a film or reading a book uh, each year, I get to go through uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, right? How many of you, yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's a fiction, it's um, an easy read, it's sort of almost a one-setting read, and there's been lots of different presentations of it, A Christmas Carol. And of course, in The Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge, who is visited by Marley's ghost, and of course, at first doesn't believe he's really seeing him and really talking to him, when he's finally convinced that it really is uh, Marley's ghost, and Marley offers him a chance to escape the predicament that he's in, wrapped up in these chains from the way he lived his life. Um, I'm not suggesting this is all theologically correct. It's a fiction, right? Um, and when he accepts that and is offered a chance himself to change his life, to avoid that predicament, and Marley tells him, you will be visited by three ghosts. And what is Ebenezer Scrooge's response? I'd rather not. <laughs> if that's if that's the hope you offered, I'd rather not. But of course, uh, he is convinced or told that's his only hope. I'd rather not. I'd rather not be visited by something from eternity that's not part of this world and my experience. It's kind of scary. Well, today our theme is fear. So our topic today really is the fear of Christmas, the fear of Christmas. And we're going to explore this together from both the Old Testament and New Testament today. And so before we open our Bibles, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. We do this not as a uh, throwaway line or cursory thing, but that we really do a, a desire that God would reveal his word to our hearts and that we would hear his word. Heavenly Father, we do come at this time, and we are continuing our worship by opening your word, listening to it, and reading, and allow it to speak to our hearts. And we pray for our children as they continue to worship by hearing your word as well. And Father, we thank you for the freedom we have to come, open your word, share it, preach it, proclaim it, internalize it, and live by it. And so we ask your Holy Spirit to be with us in a very special way as we continue to celebrate the birth of our wonderful dear Savior, Jesus Christ, once again this Christmas season. We ask this in his name. Amen. In the Old Testament, this theme of fear takes place many times in many different ways. Fear of people, fear of circumstances, fear of God. I'd like to just look at a couple of these passages, and we're going to look at one, 1 Samuel chapter 23. If you open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 23, last week we considered David 
And uh, as Gary, we uh, had us go back to the life of David and his anointing of king. And we're kind of uh, using David as part of our series on this year on our Advent series to remind us that, the, that we are celebrating the birth of the son of David, a descendant of David as the promised Messiah. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 23, David is in a situation in his life where his life is in great danger because of King Saul, who basically is hunting him down. King Saul is the king. Now, we don't live in a monarchy. We've never been part of that experience. Even today, many of our Western civilizations that have monarchies, it's not the same as this. In a monarchy, the king rules. The king does what the king wants to do. And there's no vote. There's no democracy. The king does what the king wants to do. And the king has chosen to kill David if he can to hunt him down with his army. And David, verse 13 of chapter 23, and his men, about 600 in number, left Keliah, kept moving from place to place. And when Saul was told David escaped from Keliah, he did not go there. David stayed in the desert strongholds, in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. For those of us who have been to Israel, and think about that Judean wilderness, the Dead Sea area to the west of the Dead Sea, um, this area of the caves. We know that uh, David, we visited in our second trip, the Bell Caves, big large caves that we went in. And remember those big dome caves where you could hide 300 men easily or 600 men uh, because they're so large. David is hiding. David is on the run. David is moving place to place. Saul tries to kill him twice in David's life, once already and once to come. Uh, David uh, has opportunity to kill Saul and says, no, I will not lift my hand against God's anointed. God has placed him in this role and I am not going to do that. This is in God's hands. He is at the mercy of the king and of God as to what is going to happen. In verse 15, while David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son, Jonathan, now think about this, this is a whole nother story, but Jonathan is the next in line, rightfully according to human standards. He is the prince. He is the next king of Israel by all human standards, except God has chosen differently. Jonathan should be the king. And Jonathan comes to him at Horus, and notice it says he helped him to find strength in God. And he says, quote, don't be afraid. In the Hebrew, this phrase, fear not, fear not, don't be afraid. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king of Israel and I will be second to you. And so we have an instance in the Old Testament of fear and the message, fear not, don't be afraid. He doesn't say you have no reason to be afraid, but he says, God will take care of this. Yes, normally this you would have reason to be afraid. He is the king. You are not, and he will kill you. But fear not. God is going to place you instead. You notice it says he helped him find strength in God. Don't you love that? Has somebody come alongside and helps him find strength in God. He needed a friend, and God sent a friend to have him deal with this fear. Isaiah chapter 6, we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, when the Isaiah, the prophet, responds, and, 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 he's, and he gets, in, this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, 
and his train filled the temple. And he hears, he hears the seraphim crying back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he sees this heavenly scene in this vision. And he hears a voice, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. When, I, when Isaiah sees this vision of God in his temple, in the heavenly temple, he falls down and says, woe is me. In the King James, I learned, he says, woe is me, I am undone. In the Hebrew means I am dead. Why? For my eyes have seen the King, the God of glory. I, I'm immortal. I've seen this and I'm going to die. It's so overpowering. It's so, it's, it's so immense. It's so powerful. I'm dead. But God raises him up and sends him with the commission. Judges chapter 6. If you look at, go back in your Bible, if you're in Samuel, to the book of Judges, just before 1 Samuel. In Judges chapter 6, the story of Gideon. And I think maybe you know the story of Gideon and his 300 men that God uses to defeat the enemies. But you'll notice here in verse 20 of chapter 6 of Judges, the angel of God, uh, the uh, Malach Yahweh, the angel of God, said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, pour over broth, and Gideon did so. With the tip of his staff was in his hand. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flamed from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. This heavenly being. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, shalom. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. He saw the angel of the Lord. This angel of the Lord represented God. And we know from scriptures, we read the Old Testament, there is something special about this particular angel of the Lord that represents God. And we believe, as our understanding of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, this possibly is the Son, the second person in Trinity appearing in this form that he could be seen. Whatever it is, it represents God. If it's not God himself, because he, he says, I'm, I'm dead. I'm done. I'm finished. I've seen the presence of God. And the angel says, peace. And he says, fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. It's very short in the Hebrew. Fear not. Fear not. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. He should have died. The Bible says no one can look upon God and live. And just like Isaiah, they both said, I'm dead. I've seen God, evidently. Fear not. You are not going to die. The presence of God in the presence of humanity rightly invokes fear and trembling. The Greek word that's used for tremble in the New Testament is where we get tremor from. It rightly so invokes fear and trembling. It's supposed to. If you or I had a glimpse of heaven and God, as much as we love God and the Holy Spirit in our presence, if we actually had that brief glimpse as we believe Apostle Paul did in Second Corinthians where he says, I know man in the body or not, I do not know. He was caught up to the third heaven and he, and he heard things inexpressible. It's overpowering. Paul didn't even say what he saw. He just says, I heard things. I can't even tell you what I heard. They're so overpowering. 
Fear not. The presence of God in the presence of humanity rightly invokes fear and trembling. The fear of Christmas. Our Advent theme today as read to us in the scriptures that were read, fear. The Greek word phobos, which we obviously get phobia from. The fear of Christmas. As we read through the Christmas story, there's this common thread from all the major characters, except the wise men, but all the other common characters that we generally associate with the Christmas story. We have the manger scene over here. We have in our, in our minds and in our hearts and the songs we sing, the major characters in the Christian, in the Christmas story. And there's a common thread in this story that you will find for all of them. So let's, let's track this. And I'm sure you probably have guessed what I'm going to be speaking of. Well, let's go to Luke chapter one, where the story really begins in the gospel of Luke. Matthew and Luke are the two gospels from which we get our Christmas nativity story. Mark skips over it and begins with the Lord's ministry. John begins with the Lord's ministry. It's Matthew and Luke that have, have given us the nativity story, the birth record, the birth narrative of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 1, we have Zechariah in verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty... He was serving as priest before God. They rotated. These priests rotated in the temple. And it was a privilege and an honor to be called upon for your rotation to go into the temple and to do your service. And it was Zechariah's turn. And Zechariah was serving as priest before God. And we know that he and his wife Elizabeth were quite elderly. They had no children. They had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for a child, especially a son, and had not been answered. They had, and it was not going to happen physically from a human standpoint. Much like Abraham and Sarah, it was not going to happen. And Zechariah is on duty. And he was serving as priest before God. In verse 9, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. That was the sacrifice, the burning of the incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside as he went in by himself to burn this incense. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. The angel of the Lord is standing there. And Zechariah saw him. And he was startled and he was gripped with fear. He was gripped with fear. Zechariah had never seen an angel of the Lord. We don't know what the angel looked like. They appear to come in a human form so they're identifiable. They appear to be radiant and shining from being in the presence of God. And they represent this blaze and, and, and maybe as the seraphim in Isaiah, this blazing glory, but you can still make them out. This angel of the Lord standing there next to the altar. And Zechariah says, in the Greek says, he's gripped with fear. He's terrified. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Now, our Bible's New Testament is written in Greek. They were speaking Aramaic, which is a close sister language, the development of Hebrew. 
so the Greek translates it into, into English. So what they were, when they were talking, if the angel was to talk to Zechariah so he could understand him in Aramaic, the phrase he would have used would have come right out of the Old Testament. It's used over 75 times in the Old Testament. 75 times this phrase is found. Fear not. Fear not. And the angel says to Zechariah, Fear not. Why? Your prayer has been heard. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Verse 16, many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord, their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom, the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Clearly, the Messianic prophets from the Old Testament, behold, I will send my prophet Elijah to come to prepare the way of the Messiah. Zechariah, it's your son. Fear not. I have good news for you. Not only has your prayer been heard, but your son is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. The rest of the story, of course, Zechariah dares to say, how can I be sure of this? That was a bad question. I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. The angel says in verse 19, I am Gabriel. I am Gavrael. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And by the way, since you didn't believe it, you're going to be silent until it happens. I am Gabriel. I am the angel of God from the Old Testament. Gabriel. Fear not. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. The story of Mary. In the sixth month, God sent the angel, Gabriel again, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged, betrothed, which was a legal contract. It's different than our engagement. It's a legal contract. Betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of of David. The virgin's name was Miriam, Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. A common, we think possibly teenage girl, common Galilean, not royalty. And the angel, Gabriel, Gabriel, comes to her and says, You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was what? Greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. Why would an angel come to me and say, you are highly favored? And the angel said to her in Aramaic, fear not. Fear not. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child, give birth to a son, You are to give him the name Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son 
of the Lord Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never be. And Mary says, how can this be? I am still a virgin. The angel Gabriel, whatever his presence, whatever his his look before her, she was terrified. She was greatly troubled. And she was troubled at his message. And the angel says, Mary, fear not. You are going to bear the Messiah to Israel. There is no doubt what he is talking about. Meanwhile, in Matthew chapter 1, the man she is betrothed to, who has found out she now is expecting a child, and of course you know the story, because he's a good man. He could have had her publicly shamed, or worse, punished, put to death even. But because Joseph is a good man, that's all we need to know about him. We aren't told much about Joseph, but he's a good man. And he, and he decided to put her away privately. The end of verse 19, he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, how he was going to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Joseph also spoke Aramaic. Joseph, fear not to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. He goes on to say in verse 23, the virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That's the prophecy that's fulfilled. Joseph woke up and he did it. Mary afterwards said, I am your servant. Do as you please. Fear not, Joseph. He saw this angel too. It was a vision, but it's real. Don't be afraid. I have good news for you. You can take Mary. And not only that, but the son she is going to bear with you to bear to you is going to be the Messiah. She is conceived by the Holy Spirit. How could you possibly begin to understand that? How could you contemplate? How could you even think of that? But he did it. And he said, okay, Joseph, fear not. And back in Luke chapter 2, and the angel, there were shepherds, verse 8, the baby is born, lying in a manger, in Bethlehem, the house of bread, Bethlehem. And there were shepherds living out in their fields nearby. Shepherds, the bottom of the social rung. There's a reason they're outside. This is not a highly esteemed job. It's a dirty job. Not a popular job. They're outside in the field and someone's got to stay up at night and watch over this flock. And they're out there living in the hills of Judea keeping watch over their flocks at night. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And here's, here's where you see what this angel's like. The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory, shone round about them. And they were terrified. That is, I think this, the glory shined around about them. It just says there's one angel right now. 
But this angel is so radiant that the glory of God from this angel is shining around them and, and brightening their world up. And they're terrified. These are shepherds. This is the end. Woe is, uh, woe, woe are us. We are undone. The angel of the Lord shined around them. But the angel said, verse 10, fear not. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I bring you good news, great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, not just one angel, but a host of heavenly angels appeared praising God and singing together, maybe in unison, singing together, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. And they're gone. And the shepherds go. What is the common thread? The common thread for all these important characters. And then, of course, as Gary pointed out last week, then there's Herod. Where when Herod hears the message, it says, he and all Jerusalem were trembling with fear because a king has been born that the Magi have come to see. They don't get any angel to come to them and say, fear not. Fear not. The angels come from God's presence. Gabriel, who I'm assuming is the key angel in all these accounts, he comes from God's presence and he represents heaven and the Lord. He represents the celestial versus the terrestrial. The heavenlies versus the earthly. He represents the eternal versus our temporal. Our lives that are spaced from beginning to end. The temporal, it's temporary here on earth. This angel represents the holy, the holy God that Isaiah saw versus the sinful humanity on earth. And do I need and do we need to be reminded of the sinful condition of humanity? What is their common message? The common message to every one of them, every time, just as in the Old Testament, fear not. Notice what he does not say. Gabriel does not say to Zechariah and to Mary and the vision of Joseph and to the shepherds, excuse me, I didn't mean to startle you. Sorry about that. The angel doesn't say, it's okay. It's okay. There's nothing to be afraid of. It's, it's all right. You notice that's not what he says. Because it's not all right. They should be afraid. When humanity encounters the heavenly, it's frightening. It's so far removed from our daily existence. In our human condition, it's not all right. It doesn't bode well 
when the Holy God shows up like that, it is not sorry to bother you. It is fear not. You have reason to be afraid, except fear not, because I have good news for you. There is hope. There is hope. There is hope. This is a reality from above. And friends, I think our response would be the same if all of a sudden we were in the presence. If our lives was so disrupted by the actual presence of eternity for just a brief moment, it would be shattering. It would be life-changing. And Paul says, I, I heard things I can't even explain to you and to keep me humble. To keep me humble after experiences, God gave me a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. Fear not. Why? Not because there's no reason to be afraid, but because I have good news for you. I have good news. And this good news, Zacharias, you are going to have a baby. He is going to be the forerunner. Mary, you are going to miraculously, even though you're a virgin, bear a child who will be the Messiah. Joseph, you have been chosen by God to bring this child up as his father. He is going to be the Messiah. And shepherds, even though you are the absolute less and least likely people to get the news first of all of Israel, I've chosen you to go see it and proclaim the news. I have good news for you. The message is common. Fear not. There is hope. There is a chance. There is a way to peace with God. This is good news. Where does this leave us today? Christmas time. Kind of have two holidays going on. You know that? We sort of have the cultural holiday with all the trappings. And it's fun. I enjoy it. Right? I mean... You know, we have decorations, we have songs, we have family, things that are meaning a lot to us. People that celebrate that have no interest really in Christ himself. But it's a, it's a holiday, it's fun, it's good, it's enjoyable, I enjoy it. Especially when Bonnie Larson makes her cookies and brings to the women's tea and brings extra, you know. <laughs> but there's also the Christian holiday. The birth of our Savior, God become flesh. That could be a terrifying thing. You know that? That could be a pretty terrifying thing for God to show up. God, who is holy, who is just, who is blazing, God become flesh. Fear not. Where does this leave us today? Is there a place for the reality and fear of God and the hope of joy 
and peace. I'm going to close with this passage. Just, just want to reference it. You can take it home and think about it. Philippians chapter 2. Paul's epistle to the church at Philippi, that young church in Philippi in Macedonia. And Paul, in this, this epistle that is full of joy, the Philippian epistle is known for that. And he says this, chapter 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more than my absence. I'm under arrest in Rome. I'm gone. Do this. Continue, now, this is Paul writes this to the church, the body of Christ. Continue to work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Friends, that is right out of the Old Testament. Work out. He's talking to believers, people who know Christ, people who love God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Is there a place in our lives today for reverential fear of God? With fear and trembling. Friends, that's a strong phrase. It's out of the Old Testament. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? We have encountered the holy and eternal God in our temporal human condition. And we all know we are not perfect. But notice what he says. Fear not. Why? For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure. Friends, we encounter God. There is a, you know, it's, it's not up to us. It, it, this is God. Work out your salvation. Live your lives, in a sense, with fear and trembling because you have encountered the Holy God of the universe. The Holy Spirit dwells within us as Christians. Fear not. Why? Because that same God, think of this, has chosen to be at work in me and in you. What? To will, desire, to do, to accomplish, according to His good pleasure. Good. Because God is good. And ultimately, it is good. God has chosen to accomplish His good through us working out with fear and trembling what He has placed in our hands and in our hearts. The fear of God. You know what? We don't get the option. As much as we might be pressured from our world. And this is nothing new. This has been going on since the beginning when Jesus came. But we don't get the option of playing down or lessening God's holiness, justice, and judgment against sin. We don't get that option. That is not up to us. What we have we have the message 
We don't get the prerogative of, of having to, to diminish our God to be acceptable. But we have the privilege, rather, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade humanity. For Christ's love compels us. We are convinced that one died for all. And thus we are told in 1 John chapter 4, perfect love casts out fear. Our message is not, when it comes to the gospel, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. We didn't mean to scare you. Our message is, there is a holy, beautiful, wonderful, just, and yes, loving God who on Christmas morn came to earth as a baby for a purpose of living a life without sin to go to the cross of Calvary and to pay for my sin and yours so that we may come and be part of God's family. Fear of Christmas is simply this. God with us. Holiness with humanity. Peace and joy and hope of Christmas. Fear not. We have good news of great joy which is for all people. Let's close our service. Amen. Thank you so much. Beautiful music this time. You got to come up here and sit in front someday and hear yourselves sing. Somewhere in Palestine, in the land of the Abyssalites, near the town of Ophrah, there might be some stones there that are important because after Gideon saw the angel of God and said, I'm dead. And the Lord said to him, Peace. Fear not. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. It says Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he called it Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. He built the altar and he says, This place is called the Lord is peace. You are not going to die. The Bible tells us the story of Christmas that all those who lived with the fear of death. God has brought us shining light. It's the message and the hope of peace and joy and love that we have at Christmas that we can share, we can live. The privilege we have, let's be the voice and hands of Christ this Christmas. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. God bless you as you walk with him this week.